the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's interesting that he compares this walking with the Lord here, walking in love, to being in the light. Because God is light, and in Him is no darkness, right? Praise to the God who reigns above. He loves everyone, always. Even when he hates what they're doing. And one of the quickest ways to deceive yourself is to hold on to anger or frustration with a brother or sister in the Lord. You won't even realize you have hatred in your heart because you're in darkness. You won't be able to see. Hello, and welcome to In the Word, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. We hope that God speaks to you today as we join Senior Pastor Will Ramirez in a study of the book of Leviticus. It is God's desire that His people would be holy, living distinct and separate lives. So he had given the Israelites the moral and ceremonial laws that they would be different from all the other nations of the world. God will now be giving them their civil laws. Last we saw in Leviticus 19 that holiness acts a certain way. We saw that holiness realizes God's eternal law, doesn't ritualize spending time with God, and is generous to the poor. And now we will see that holiness is honest in its dealings with others. We join Pastor Will in Leviticus chapter 19, verse 11. Back in Leviticus 19, we get to verse 11, and we see the next attitude of holiness is it's honest. Holiness is honest. He says in chapter 19, verse 11, You shall not steal, neither deal falsely, neither lie one to another. And you shall not swear by my name falsely, neither shall you profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. You shall not defraud your neighbor, neither rob him. For the wages of him that is hired, you shall not, they shall not abide with you all night until the morning. We have a lot of things here that speak of honesty in our dealings with others. First, he says, don't steal, neither deal falsely. The word there means don't break your side of the bargain. You keep your end of the bargain. Neither lie one to another. And you shall not swear by my name falsely. In other words, don't use God's name to mislead someone. Don't say like, oh yeah, as the Lord lives, I'll have these two donkeys over here for you by the end of the night. And then you just scoot with the money. Don't you use my name to try to make a deal and then go back on it. Don't swear falsely by my name falsely. Neither shall you profane the name of your God. Don't make my name a common thing that you could just throw out there at any time because I'm the Lord. You shall not defraud your neighbor. The word defraud there refers to nonviolent theft like extortion or oppression. Neither rob him. This refers to violent theft, you know, seizing or snatching away something through violence. And then next it says, the wages of him that is hired, you're not going to keep his money all night until the morning. You pay him that day. Now, unlike most of our jobs here in the States, Back then, in that culture, you had to pay your hired workers the same day. You hired them that day, and you paid them at the end of the day. This is because he needed that money that day. That's why, like the Bible says, give us this day our what? Daily bread. These things were not something they kept in store. They didn't keep money. They didn't have banks. They didn't do those things back then, unless you were incredibly wealthy. The idea here is if you're an employer, don't ever hold back pay for work done to somebody. Yeah, but I don't know if they're going to leave, or I don't know if they're going to do this or whatever. I had a boss once that did that to people, and he was a Christian. And I just thought to myself, that is just so wrong. 
They've worked for it. You hired them. You contracted with them. Well, they weren't working very hard. Well, you know what? That's for God to deal with, not you. You contracted with them for a wage. Pay the wage, man. Don't cheat your employees. Pay your employees and pay them fairly. Why? Why not do any of these things? Because an attitude of holiness recognizes that all prosperity comes from the Lord, right? Prosperity doesn't come from the east or the west. It comes from the Lord. He's either going to prosper or he's going to not. That trying to get ahead by cunning or deceit or bullying tactics isn't trusting the Lord. The attitude of holiness understands that. God is generous to those who trust him and are honest in their dealings with others. Well, the fifth attitude of holiness is it doesn't take advantage of the disadvantaged. Look at verse 14. He says, you shall not curse the deaf nor put a stumbling block before the blind, but you shall fear your God. I am the Lord. This should be pretty self-explanatory. How horrible is it to curse a deaf person? The word curse here doesn't just mean you look at him and you go, you stupid deaf person, just because you don't like deaf people. The idea here is it means you're critical or insulting because you're angry or annoyed. In other words, because they're deaf, they don't hear you coming and you bump into them and you go, ah, what's your problem? Can't you hear correctly? He says, don't do that. Be kind to those who have physical disabilities. Don't put a stumbling block before the blind. How horrible would that be? I'm like, why would you have to put this in here, God? Who's doing this? I want to know. Like when I get to heaven, I'll be like, who did this? Who did this that God had to put this in here? You're going to see a little hand come up. Be like, shame on you. But you shall fear your God. They are human beings created in his image. And just because you don't have a physical disability like they do, doesn't mean that you get to just treat them however you want or treat them as lesser than you. Job is a good example of loving every kind of person. In Job 29 verse 15, you can write it down. I'm just going to read it real quick. Job says, I was eyes to the blind and feet was I to the lame. I was a father to the poor and the cause which I knew not, I searched out. He was eyes to the blind. When he saw someone who was blind, he came and helped them and led them along the way. I was feet to those who were lame. You know, those who couldn't walk, he helped carry them. Those who were poor, he was a father to them. He provided for them. And the cause which he didn't even know what it was, he sought out whoever had an issue, a legal problem they needed help with. Job was a wealthy man and he sought to help them out. He's a good example of loving everybody and the disciples are a horrible example of it. Turn to John 9. This story, it blows me away. It shows you how insensitive, how uncaring these guys were and how much they needed to be saved by Jesus. You know, we venerate the 12 apostles sometimes. We're like, oh, these were mighty men of God, whatever. No, these were guys like you and me and probably even worse. The whole reason Jesus kept them close because he thought, well, if I can prove I can work with you, anybody can be saved. But they've just had an amazing experience in John chapter 8 where Jesus has battled with the religious leaders and they've picked up stones to stone him and he just literally just walked right through them. Like you kind of picture that, you know, slow-mo scene, you know, he's just walking right through them and they just hold the rocks but they can't do a thing because he's God. And he walks right out of the Temple Mount through the arches onto the southern steps. And it mentions here that as they were passing by, he comes onto those southern steps. He saw a man in chapter 9 of John, which was blind from his birth. Here's a guy. He's had this momentous moment. The disciples, they're his guard, his honor guard. Like, yeah, you can't throw those rocks. And they come right through the arches, leave these guys in befuddlement. And They walk through and they see this man born blind and Jesus sees him and turns to him and they said, Master, who did sin, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? I imagine, were I the Lord, I would have been like, get over there with the losers with the rocks, you know? (laughs) What's wrong with you? This guy, you know, that's down here, he's hurting. He can hear you, he's not deaf. And Jesus So neither has this man sinned nor his parents. Has nothing to do with that, you insensitive 
bozos. <laughs> That's not in the Bible. They didn't treat those with physical disabilities with compassion, with grace. Don't ever be like them. Be like Job. But there are those who are disadvantaged in other ways. You have those who are socially challenged. Look down in verse 15 of chapter 19 of Leviticus. He also says here, you shall do no unrighteousness in judgment, in court, in legal cases. You shall not respect the person of the poor, nor honor the person of the mighty. But in righteousness shall you judge your neighbor. Respect there means you're not going to lift up the person of the poor just because he's poor. Well, he must be the one who is wrong because he's poor. Nor will you honor or lift up, same word, lift up the person of the mighty, the one who's wealthy or strong, has lots of influence in the society. Don't say, well, he's a respectable man. He must be the one who's right. No, no. He says, in righteousness shall you judge your neighbor. One's socioeconomic status, whether low or high, should never be an advantage or a disadvantage in legal matters. And I would ask you tonight, do you immediately side against wealthy people? Do you immediately just have an attitude against them and think, well, they must be wrong, they're rich. Or do you immediately believe a homeless person is lying because they're homeless, they can't be trusting? Don't get caught up in any of that. I'm fascinated by the things I see, and I say this with gentleness to you, things I see Christians say and do on social media. They hear about some court case that's in some state that's 2,000 miles away, and immediately they're like, oh, that's right. I'm like, you have no idea what's going on. You have no idea. I was uh, on the trip. Someone found out I was from Orlando, and they said, what was that like when the pulse shooting? And I said, it was horrible. And another person right next to him said, yeah, I bet those dirty liberals just tried to turn it into something else. I said to him, I said, you know... It really wasn't that for most of us. Most of us were just hurting. Most of us were scared. Most people were just wanting some answers. Yeah, but I I bet the police, they didn't make a big deal about an Arab Muslim who did it. And I said, actually, they came out right away and said it. They came out right away and said it because they were angry and wanted to find out if anyone else helped him. And I said, they just recently arrested his wife as a collaborator to it. And I would just urge you, that's why I say with gentleness, be careful. We don't have all the facts. Social media has so much information out there. And I should have been born in Missouri, the show me state, because I don't believe anything. And I don't because I just think everybody's got an agenda. Whether one that seems to side with my way of thinking or one that's totally opposite. There's a lot of power struggles going on there. And I don't really know who's telling the truth. So don't get caught up in that. Just right is right and wrong is wrong. Judge rightly, right? That's what we need to do. And if you don't have that information, then just keep your mouth shut. Don't assume that someone that tends to lean more towards the way you think about things must be innocent. I live in Sanford. The whole Trayvon Martin thing happened. It was one of the worst things in the world. Nobody won. Nobody won in that situation. Because all that happened was you had a bunch of people that were polarized even more. People that had no idea what happened. And what we find out years and years later is that both the kid that got killed, which is a horrible, tragic thing, he wasn't the best guy. And we've proven out later on that George Zimmerman wasn't a very good guy either. And yet we had people running to bandwagons on both sides. And when none of us really knew what happened that night because there were so few people there. So don't get caught up in that. Right is right, wrong is wrong. Judge rightly and leave it there. But there's another group who's disadvantaged. And it's those who are not present to defend themselves. Look at verse 16. You shall not go up and down as a talebearer amongst thy people. Neither shall you stand against the blood of your neighbor. I am the Lord. A talebearer, the word in Hebrew means one who gives harmful information about another in a public setting. So it's someone who shares harmful information about another person in a public setting. I dare say that at least half of social media content violates this principle. (laughs) Harmful information about someone else in a public setting, right? Are you doing that? But people need to know. (laughs) Do they really? And is that really your motive? 
there's a lust for power that comes with possessing information. And there's a lot of information out there. And we need to be so on guard against that lust for the authority to say, I have information other people don't have, and I'm going to share it with you. It feels good when people are listening raptly at our words or our Facebook pages. It could be very addictive, and God wanted his people to be different. Not greedy for power or influence, but to be truth bearers, not tail bearers, truth bearers. And the worst kind of slanderer is one who would make a false accusation in legal matters that would wreck somebody's life. He says, neither shall you stand against the blood of your neighbor. I am the Lord. He says, don't you go and stand against me in court and say something that's not true, that is giving damaging information about that person. Don't you do that. You could wreck their life forever. And so I would say to you, if you have a position of influence, don't abuse that position by taking advantage of those who can't properly defend themselves. And I hear someone start being really critical about another person to me. I say, we really shouldn't be having this conversation because they're not here to defend themselves. And they might have a different side to that story. When people come to me and they start talking about, particularly their spouse and how bad they are, and I say, now, I want to hear you out and I want to be really sensitive to that, but I also need you to understand that I'm just hearing one side of the story and I know that. While I'm just hearing one side of the story... Realize there's another side to this and I need to only deal with you right now because they're not in front of me. Be very careful about being a tailbearer. Don't do that. Verse 17, the sixth attitude of holiness is to love others like Jesus does. He says, you shall not hate your brother in your heart. You shall in any wise rebuke your neighbor and not suffer sin upon him. You shall not avenge nor bear any grudge against the children of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. That word there, hate, it's a very strong word in the Hebrew language. It means an emotional attitude which detests, despises, and wishes to have no relationship with a person. So it's when you detest, despise a person, or you wish to have no relationship or contact with a person. One commentator said, whereas love draws in and unites, hate separates and keeps someone distant. And the Lord says, I don't want you doing that with your brother in your heart. I don't want you to distance them. I've heard Christians say this and say, well, I have to love them, but I don't have to spend any time with them. I would dare say that's not love. (laughs) I, I don't think Jesus is doing that. I don't think Jesus is up in heaven going, man, I love them, but I don't like what they do very much. So I'm not hanging out with them at all. We know Jesus did the exact opposite of that, right? He reached out to those who nobody loved, nobody liked. I mean, Levi, a tax collector, Matthew, a tax collector of all people, hated by his own people. Nobody liked him. And yet Matthew was present there at the Sermon on the Mount and he heard Jesus give a whole different way of life. And so when he came to his table and he said to him, Matthew, come follow me. Matthew left that old life behind. See, the alternative for him was to go the rabbi's route. That was it. It was either Rome or the rabbis. There was always this pressure. You gotta pick a side. You gotta go with the rabbis. You gotta go with Rome. And Matthew said, the rabbis stink, man. Every time they convinced Galilee to rebel, roads are lined with crucifixes. I'm going with Rome. And he lived a good life, but his people hated him as a traitor. But see, Jesus presented a third way, not the way the rabbis taught, not the way Rome taught, but the way of God, the way of the cross. And he had heard that message. He had heard that sermon. And so when Jesus came to his table and he said, come follow me, Matthew said, I'll leave this life behind because the only other alternative was this, but I heard that message and I want that life. And he followed Jesus till his death from that point on. You shall not hate your brother in your heart. Love like Jesus does. Turn to 1 John chapter 2, verse 9. We read it in our scripture reading. Verse 9 says, He that says he is in the light and hates his brother, he's actually in darkness, even till right now. He's, he's still in darkness. But he that loves his brother, he remains or abides in the light. And there is 
no occasion of stumbling in him. In other words, there's no cause for him to stumble. There's nothing that's going to trip him up because he's walking in the light. He can see clearly. It's interesting that he compares this walking with the Lord here, walking in love to being in the light because God is light and in him is no darkness, right? He loves everyone always, even when he hates what they're doing. And one of the quickest ways to deceive yourself is to hold on to anger or frustration with a brother or sister in the Lord. You won't even realize you have hatred in your heart because you're in darkness. You won't be able to see. I've confronted people before and say, you got to deal with that hatred. Like, I don't hate that person. How would you know? You're in darkness. (laughs) You can't know. God doesn't feel the way you feel about them. So obviously you're not in the light. So how can you be an accurate assessor of your heart? You need to come back into the light which means you need to forgive. You need to let go of that anger and frustration. Some of you here might be thinking, well, I'm justified to be upset. Well, why don't you let God shine the light of his love into your heart? Why don't you let him show you his unconditional heart toward you? And then you'll see where you're not in the light, that you need to forgive, you need to let it go. Now you might be saying, well, what if I'm not just upset? What if they've legitimately wronged me? Back to Leviticus 19. This principle is repeated in the New Testament, which is why it still applies. The first way we love others like Jesus does is by not hating them. But the second way we love others like Jesus does is instead of getting bitter, we seek to resolve it. Look at the end of verse 17. He says, don't hate your brother in your heart, but instead you shall in any wise rebuke your neighbor and not suffer sin upon him. What does that mean? Well, the word rebuke means to reprove. Webster's defines it as to kindly correct a fault. That doesn't mean you throw a plate at him and say, you're so mean. (laughs) That's not the right way to rebuke. It means you kindly correct a fault. You come to them and you say, listen, can we talk? When we had that conversation today, you were extremely rude to me. And that was wrong. And I'm hurt by that. And I want to repair that right now. I want to talk about it. That's what it means. Because he says, if you don't do that, you are suffering sin upon your neighbor. Literally, it means you are becoming guilty alongside your neighbor's sin against you. Much of bitterness against other people is misunderstanding. We assume the worst when the other person is completely unaware that they've even offended us. Completely unaware. And we stew figuring they should know better. Do you realize how unlike Jesus that is? Like when I come to the Lord and I'm I'm praying about something and I'm like, God, I I want you to work in my life in this way. And then you start hearing the knock, knock, knock. Oh, okay, Lord, what do you want to talk about? Well, you know how you yelled at the kids like five minutes ago? Could we talk about that? Like the Lord just doesn't sit up in heaven and go, if you don't know what you did wrong, then it's your problem, right? We do that though. Well, they should know they hurt my feelings. They should know how sensitive I am about that. They should know you don't treat somebody like that. Most people don't realize what they've done. I dare say nine out of the 10, 10 offenses that people take up, the other person doesn't even have a clue they've done anything wrong. So you have to go to them. You and I have the responsibility to openly speak to our brother or sister when they have wronged us. You can't sit and stew and then your mind starts conjuring up all these things. Well, I bet they said that because they think this about me. And I bet this is how they've been feeling about me for years. Do you know how wrong that is? That is the enemy. That is the flesh. That is sinful. That is wicked. You are not God. You don't know what's going on in somebody's heart. You know, I've told this story quite a few times, but there was a time me and Beverly, it was the first year we were married and we got into a big, huge fight and we were yelling at each other across the room and she's cooking dinner and whipping up a storm in there and I'm, you know, yelling from the living room and blah, 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 blah. And, you know, and she came and we set the plate down and set the plate down and I sat down to eat my food and then this toast comes flying out at me. <laughs> and I said, I threw my, you know, my fork down. I said, why are you throwing toast at me? She didn't throw the toast at me. We had a very energetic toaster. 
It's true. We did. It would fly out all the time. I had completely taken him an offense for something so ridiculous. She wouldn't throw a toast at me. She hasn't for 20 years. You and I have the responsibility to openly speak to our brother or sister when they've wronged us. And when you fail to do so, you share in their fault, though you may have been completely innocent when it happened. You know, Colossians 3, it tells us to be kindly affectionate towards one another, to be forgiving of one another, gracious to one another. That's love. The last way we love like Jesus does, verse 18, is we forgive him. He says, you shall not avenge nor bear any grudge against the children of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. The word avenge means to pay harm with another harm, with a focus on justice and punishment. The word for to hold a grudge, it means to preserve or stoke your anger. We usually think of vengeance in Hollywood terms. Somebody comes out with a gun and they exact their vengeance. But most of us specialize in petty revenge, a cold shoulder, the silent treatment, holding back affection or kindness. And when we're doing so, we are stoking the fire of our anger and our hurt. Instead, Moses here says, we're to love our neighbor. Don't do that. Forgive them. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. You would want to be forgiven. You would want a second chance or a third chance or a fourth chance. But with their love, it means to have affection for someone, to desire what's best for that person. Someone once described forgiveness to me as when you spontaneously wish a person well again. I like that. When you spontaneously in your heart, you think about them and you want good for them. That's how you know you've forgiven somebody. Until you get there, you need to keep doing it. When you get angry in your heart, you say, no, Lord, I chose to forgive them. Please continue to do a work of forgiveness in my heart. I choose to forgive them again. Now, you might be saying, but that's impossible with real hurt, Will. No, it's not impossible. It's just supernatural. And you can't do it on your own. But the God who loves infinitely, he can restore passion for a spouse or affection for a sibling. God specializes in healing hearts. Don't you believe that? He specializes in healing hearts. So won't you let him heal yours? And maybe you're here tonight and you say, it's not a matter of can't, Will. It's a matter of won't. They've hurt me too badly and I will not let them do it again. Might I remind you that this command here to love your neighbor as yourself was repeated by Jesus and he called it the second greatest commandment? It's not an optional one. It's not an optional one. So won't you let him do a miracle in your heart by taking all that hurt and all that pain and filling it with his love for the one who's wronged you? God, he wants to do things that make us different than everybody else we interact with that show that we're his disciples. And what does he say? By this shall all men know that you're my disciples. What? By how holy you are? Well, one way is holiness is loving like Jesus does. And he says it's by the love that you have one for another. You and I, if if you're out of sorts with somebody in the body of Christ right now, I wanna challenge you. You need to make it right. You need to make it right and you need to make it right tonight. If you can't make it right tonight because they're not available, you need to make it right tomorrow. And if you're not there, then as we close tonight, just ask the Lord. Tell him, say, Lord, I give you my heart. Will you fill it with your love for that person? I can't love them like you do, but I know you can love them through me. I know you can love them the same way you love me. I know you can give the same forgiveness to them through me that you've given to me. Will you do that in me? So often we just look and we think, there's no way God could do that. Listen, this is the God who raises the dead. He can do anything, amen? Let's stand. Oh Lord, you have called us to be different, unique. In a world of darkness, you've called us to be light, to be like you. And so Lord, we've seen so many attitudes tonight, the generosity, being honest, holding fast to your eternal commands. 
not ever making our time with you ritualistic. And Lord, treating the disadvantaged with kindness and loving like you do. Lord, we want those attitudes in our heart. But Lord, you're the only one who can put them there. You are holy. Your spirit is the Holy Spirit. And, And so Lord, we need you to put those things inside of us. And so we ask tonight, as we yield our bodies to you as living sacrifices, Lord, would you fill us? Would you fill us with this kind of love? Would you fill us with this kind of generosity? Would you fill us with this kind of kindness, Lord? Would you fill us with this obedience and this, this, this graciousness towards others? Would you fill us with honesty? Lord, I know you can do those things. And for those that are asking right now, who are praying that prayer, would you do that? Whatever that specific area is that they're giving to you right now, would you fill them with you? Fill them with your love. Fill them with your truth. Fill them with your holiness that they might see the miracle of you changing them from the inside out as well. And we love you. Thanks for loving us. In Jesus' name, amen. God wants us to lead holy lives. Remember, the word holy means separate, pulled out of. We are to live lives that are different from the rest of the world because we have seen God. We have seen his mighty hand, his loving outstretched arms, and his presence in our daily life. Reviewing Leviticus 19, we saw holiness, realizes God's eternal law, doesn't ritualize spending time with God, is generous to the poor, and is honest in its dealings with others. Holiness also doesn't take advantage of the disadvantaged, doesn't take advantage of the poor, nor of people that are not around to defend themselves. Holiness is loving as Jesus loved, forgiving, and hoping the best for the people around us. Let's be holy people. Let's be holy as God is holy. If you have any spiritual or physical need, please contact us. We would love to pray for you and assist you in any way we can. You can reach us at Calvary Chapel Orlando at 407-523-0800 during our office hours Tuesday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. This has been In the Word with Pastor Will, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. You can listen to all of Pastor Will's sermons and find other valuable resources online at www.calvarychapelorlando.com or on the Calvary Chapel Orlando app, available on iTunes and Google Play. Thank you for joining us today. We will see you next time as we continue to learn, walk, and live in the Word.